Truth is the authority. All right, first thing, bring your A game because I'll take nothing less. I mean, we don't need more regulations. We need far less of them. We're going to have an open and honest discussion, but the numbers are what matter. The facts matter. Forget about the Republicans and the Democrats for a minute. Let's talk about the people. I've lived the American dream, and I want so many more people to be able to live the American dream. My show is what it says. It's common sense. We've jettisoned political correctness. It's principles and policies that work for everybody. I just want to talk about how to fix this country. The David Webb Show. President Biden will have a virtual meeting with Xi Jinping, the president of China, who, by the way, has a proposal on the table. Can't speak to where it is now, but it would effectively make him uh, the dictator of China if the Communist uh, Party has their way. But we'll put that aside for the moment. What are the issues on the table that not only matter most, but what should we expect from this first Biden-Xi virtual meeting? What about Taiwan? What about the Indo-Pacific region writ large? And are there going to be questions about China's involvement in Afghanistan working with different parties, either the Taliban or in some cases elements of the Pakistani government? Dr. Weifen Zhang joins me again uh, to address these issues with China. He's a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center, George Mason University. Dr. Zhang, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, I, I know that the news came out, but not a surprise to you or I, and I reported same to this audience, of China making mock-ups of U.S. warships, possibly as training targets. The, the psychological warfare, the psyops, the various ways in which China presents themselves is not a surprise to me, but in this recent instance, does it mean more than that? I think it might mean more than that in the sense that building mock-ups um, on the desert as for practice, for military practice or exercise, is not new in China. But what is new is, relatively new at least, is the shape of uh, U.S. carrier and uh, destroyers, which shows that the uh, uh, Taiwan Strait or possibly South China Sea potential conflicts there uh, is on the Beijing's mind. Uh, in preparation for possible U.S. involvement. And so that's, I think, something relatively new. And China didn't seem to be shy about letting uh, people know about it in the sense that after the incidents was reported in the West, uh, we also see uh, a reporter ask China's foreign policy uh, spokes, the foreign ministry uh, spokesperson, and the, uh, that person sort of denied, uh, saying that, oh, I, I have no idea. I don't know about uh, the, the mock-ups. And that exchange in the press conference was also widely reported inside China's propaganda as well. And so I, I think it's, it's, it's the intention is quite clear that China is preparing for possible U.S. involvement, which makes it really important now for the U.S., for the White House, to send a strong signal about uh, the intention to defend Taiwan if China invades the island. 
So how do they send that signal? And, you know, Will is a part of this. You and I have discussed before Taiwan's capabilities and what has been a long-held strategy that if Taiwan is able to hold out for a, a small period but still hold out against a potential Chinese invasion, the hope is that the world would get involved. That brings me back to Will, the will of this administration to get involved should China invade Taiwan. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with you that will is the first, the most important thing here. And there, there is doubt about the will, how strong it is uh, with this White House, especially since the uh, uh, chaotic Afghanistan withdrawal. And so, but I, I think which, I think the point is that it makes it more important to send a signal because even including Beijing, people overseas uh, who are watching are doubting the U.S. Uh, resolve to defend Taiwan. And there, so now in terms of how to send a signal, there, there's, there is a concern that if you, you know, fly planes or drive ships around in the area, you, uh, it would provoke China because uh, of these uh, strong military intentions. And, but there are other ways I think that the U.S. could send strong signals. We have talked about economic policies potentially, for example, because Taiwan is so important economically especially in the semiconductor industry, the U.S. could forge a trade agreement, free trade agreement with Taiwan. That would send a strong signal to Beijing. Another thing uh, Congress actually could do is to authorize the president to act in case China invades the island. So it's a, it's a preemptive authorization to take military actions. That doesn't mean that the president is um, uh, ob ob obligated to act, but it at least saves the time uh, so the president doesn't need to ask Congress for approval to defend Taiwan after the fact. And that also would send a strong signal, too. I think there are um, uh, lawmakers in Congress who are interested in this kind of uh, proposals, uh, this kind of actions. And I think that would be a very good idea, too. You know, part of will is belief. The Chinese have to believe that there would be action if signals are sent. And clearly there is a marked difference between belief and will when, it, you know, agreement or disagreement on policy aside for the moment, but between the personalities as in President Trump and President Biden and the more left-wing base in the Biden administration that is more friendly to China. So belief, do you believe the Chinese believe there will actually be follow-up? And have they given any indication of how they believe? It doesn't seem that the, uh, the Chinese, as things stand now, believe that uh, the U.S. would take strong actions to defend Taiwan, and the, which is well, ever to the point of why the U.S. should actually send more strong signals. And Going back to the U.S. policy, so all these belief things are very complicated because as in anything uh, leading up to war, right? So all, everything is about guessing and what you believe, what I believe, you believe, and it goes on and on. And the reason the U.S. has adopted this uh, decades-long policy called uh, strategic ambiguity, which means that the U.S. is not going to say whether or not, either way, it would defend Taiwan. The, the rationale from decades ago was that if you say it, uh, make it clear that you, you would defend Taiwan, the Taiwanese military would not be on its toes. So it would not get ready. It would, it would lack the incentives because, yeah, they believe that the Americans will show up in the end to defend us. 
but another way rationale is to uh, also not make uh, make it too clear that it would provoke Beijing. Now I think assessing recent developments, it's clear that both rationales are no longer valid, which is to the point of the belief that you mentioned, uh, because I think it's quite clear that China's intention to overtake Taiwan doesn't really depend on U.S. actions, because Taiwan presents a case against China's, uh, the Communist Party's legitimacy, saying that one, one argument often made was, you know, the Chinese culture, uh, we we demand different political institutions. Democracy doesn't really work for us because we have very different culture. But then you look at Taiwan, right? Perfectly the same uh, Chinese culture, Chinese people, at, at least ethnically speaking. But they have democracy, they have economic freedom and political freedom, and the, the economy is doing well. So that actually presents a case that the, uh, pretty much dictates that China would take action regardless of what uh, what the U.S. would do. And uh, also the uh, Taiwanese uh, military has come a long way. Uh, in recent years in terms of their uh, investment in uh, preparing the uh, uh, possible attacks by China. So I think the the case really for ambiguity is no longer there. And the, the White House, the, the Washington, needs to realize that and make it clear uh, about the intention to defend Taiwan. You know, I'll start with a simple picture. I'll describe it briefly for the audience, and you know the picture. It was the first meeting between state, uh, the State Department and the Chinese counterparts. Anthony Blinken being lectured by the Chinese and their officials making no bounds about, bones about how they felt or how they projected what's going on in America. The response from the State Department was non-existent. Uh, weak would be, I think, an overstatement when I watched this meeting play out. Today we have a meeting between President Biden and Xi Jinping. And given diplomatic missteps, uh, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, China's interest, not only in rare earth minerals, but in the large uh, or in the great potential for large gold deposits in Afghanistan, which would be key to their economy, potentially. What should we expect today? And do you expect that this president will stand up to China? Um, I would say that I do not expect that, at least in public, meaning, so very interesting you mentioned the Alaska meeting. There, there's another part of the meeting where uh, it was closed behind closed doors and the journalists did not see it, so we did not see it from broadcast. And one, one very interesting aspect of Chinese diplomacy is that Chinese officials, they really care about saving face for their uh, per, for the purpose of their domestic uh, propaganda or facing the domestic audiences in China. And so oftentimes the messages exchanged behind closed doors in negotiations, uh, in meetings like this, uh, and the uh, what's put out in the press, uh, to the press or to the public, uh, there's there's a, often a, oftentimes a discrepancy there. And so I, I expect, fully expect that something similar to that would happen in a sense that out in the public, maybe the two presidents would say something quite friendly. All really what matters is what they said, uh, what they would say behind closed doors in the meeting. And I, I do hope, I, I'm not quite confident, but I do hope that President Biden would, would deliver a strong message uh, to President Xi that uh, the U.S. would take strong actions, whether, whether it's come to uh, Afghanistan or Taiwan, South China Sea, uh, human rights abuses in Xinjiang with the forced labor issue. I do hope that uh, U.S. President would say that, 
and then they can put up whatever friendly words uh, out in public. So I think that actually might be a smart strategy for for the U.S. officials uh, in order to you know save some face for the Chinese officials and also uh, achieve the purpose of sending the actual strong signals. All right, so let's go beyond signals to something that is a part of this strategy, I believe. That is time. Time and political cycles. I mentioned earlier the proposal on the table in China uh, to further Xi's rule, to give him a lifetime rule. Here in the United States, we're dealing with political cycles. I believe it's a factor in this discussion, and it is an important factor in China's strategy because their strategy is not one of time, but a timeline to their goals under the Chinese Communist Party's intentions. While Biden, Harris, Kamala Harris for that matter, the vice president, and the Democrat Party have a cycle to contend with. Does China have an advantage of time versus a political timeline? I think it's hard to say because Time is certainly not a sufficient condition for having good performance in governments. If you think about Mao, who was in office for a long time, right? Or uh, Stalin for Soviet Union, too. So time, you, having a lot of time so you can do whatever you want doesn't necessarily mean that policy would be good. And I think uh, doubts now are accumulated on that front for President Xi uh, because of his heavy-handed governance uh, style or the uh, pro-Mao uh, uh, version of Chinese reforms rather than the, the reforms and opening up under uh, Deng Xiaoping, uh, his, his uh, predecessor. So I think um, the it's interesting, though, that when they put out the, the meeting you referred to, David, uh, last week, uh, where the Communist Party put out this resolution about history, uh, something rare, which is that uh, if you they, they try to clarify that uh, put uh, elevate Xi's uh, historical um, position to be similar to Mao and Deng, uh, the three, um, basically making him one of the three great leaders since um, the uh, foundation of the Communist Party, which means that I think at least the President Xi has another 10 years to go, because what, why else would you put out a statement, right? Although formally, we don't know uh, until he actually uh, does that in next year's party congress, that would allow him to go on for another five years, and then five years from then would be another five years. But I, I think the fact that he's putting out a, his, a resolution document for history on the historical records of the Communist Party suggests that he would at least have another 10 years, which was the case uh, the, the previous two times when the Chinese Communist Party had a resolution about history. So we, we should at least expect 10 more years of President Xi, in my view. And uh, whether that, that does any good, uh, I highly doubt that. It'll be interesting to see what we see publicly. I'm with you that what happens behind closed doors can be different. Are there other issues, or what are the main issues you believe should be brought up in today's meeting, out in public and or behind closed doors? I think the, in terms of issues, I think the most important thing is Taiwan. And in conjunction to that is the South China Sea. Um, I think forced labor is something that the U.S. should make a strong stand, although policy-wise, I don't really see a good solution because uh, forced labor is quite prevalent in China. Not that it's very 
not that every good you pick up in, at Walmart with uh, has or made with forced labor, but there's a chance that every kind of good uh, might have some at least that was uh, made in forced labor. And it's uh, policy-wise, it's really hard to counter that because it involves uh, virtually every aspect of trade uh, between the U.S. and China. But nevertheless, I think the U.S. should make a strong stand uh, against forced labor practice in China. Um, uh, in the uh, t uh, climate change, I think it's, it's good to see that they had the U.S. and China had the climate deal, and I think where where on issues where the two countries could cooperate, I think that's also a good idea. Uh, not to not to say that we have to be uh, combated or you know uh, competitive against China on every front. So when they they do have the opportunities to cooperate, I think that would be a, a good idea to move forward as well. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see China didn't show up for COP26 uh, and their actions don't seem to match what are the ideals being put out or the ideas uh, being pushed out of COP26 in this administration. I don't know how much of a starter that is, but we'll see. Uh, on the economic front, something I know you follow quite closely, it, uh, it it's said and uh, that China has been at war with us economically for a long time. What do you expect on the economic front? And then the second part, what should we do? There is some. Uh, there are some recommendations. Uh, seems that way in, uh, within the administration to change the uh, tariffs strategy um, put in place by former President Trump, in a sense that the U.S. would narrow the scope of tariffs meaning that, for example, for goods that do not really concern our national security, uh, the U.S. should remove the tariffs. So toys, for example, right? Toys, I don't see any any ways, for example, toys made in China threatens our national security. And so keeping the tariffs there would uh, hurt the consumer interest uh, for the American people. So removing those tariffs is one part of the idea. Another, The other part of the idea is to keep in place uh, tariffs and other sanctions actions on goods or sectors that really threaten uh, U.S. national security. Uh, Dual-use technologies, for example, should uh, be uh, very strictly sanctioned because the China Chinese government could use those goods in uh, for mili military purposes as well as uh, civilian purposes. So uh, things like that, I think there's an idea to sort of narrow the scope but build the wall higher to defend uh, the U.S. national security interests against China. I think that would be a, a good way to move forward, actually. It doesn't seem that it's uh, something coming very soon, but it's something it seems that the, uh, um, the current administration is considering. And I, I do hope that uh, President Biden move forward on that because the, um, the, the broad tariffs on all goods from China uh, have not changed any Chinese be behavior in meaningful way. And I, I think on that front, the trade policy of the U.S. does need to reform uh, in order to better counter the real threats from China against U.S. national interests. Well, we will uh, keep a very close eye on that. Keep a close eye on your telephone. I may be calling you to <laughs> come back and break this all down for us when we know what happened publicly and if we get any indications of our private, uh, maybe not private, but uh, the behind-closed-door view. Thank you very much for having me, David. It's a pleasure. Always. Dr. Weifen Zhang, Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. I'll be right back.